Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another pleasant but overcast day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today we're joined by Alexander Hawkins Bias of BMAS, who will be joining our conversation on leadership. We always ensure that we have two distinct perspectives on leadership, and so today we'll also be joined later in the program by Sir Jeff Hurst. However, first and foremost, we're joined by Alexander Hawkins Bias, Chief Executive of BMAS. Alexander, hello. Hi there. Hey. Well, thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, we might as well jump straight in. Uh, what does the word leader mean to you? Leadership's an interesting thing. Obviously, having run uh, an agency now for seven years, um, you know, starting from you know just ourselves um, as three founders to now having a team of fifteen people, it's been an interesting challenge um, and a great adventure actually to you know foster a team and, and learn how to motivate people, what drives people. Obviously, getting them to share in your vision for the company um, and you know and the work that we do. So, I think that's definitely been. Um, an interesting journey for us and you know the highs and lows and you know you never know um what kind of individuals you're getting you know with employees obviously you know that you hire them to do a job but at the same time they become your friends they become your colleagues and you know you're spending seven eight hours a day with them every day um and you know you get to know them very well so it's it's, it's an interesting very interesting journey from that perspective what would you say your personal leadership style is um, I'm quite laid back. I'm I'm very much of the the thought that um, you know we want to motivate people and find out what you know drives them and give them the opportunity to excel. Um, I think one of the interesting things about um, over the last seven years, as I said, is you know is finding out how to motivate people and get them to you know feel that they want to contribute rather than kind of being a draconian kind of oversight and mm-hmm. and and also allowing them to um, the freedom to manage themselves in, in the extent that you know I'm very. I, as long as people deliver what they need to do, I'm I'm not a strict overlord as such. Um, so you know, from that side of things, it's, it's definitely an interesting perspective. But just getting you know getting people to get involved and self motivate and self drive, and mm. and then and an interesting part more recently in the last two years is actually getting the team to self manage themselves. You know, uh, promoting various other members of the team to you know, manage other members. You know, so when we first started, you know, it was very much. Uh, retaining control within the the founding group mm-hmm. and kind of you know everything fed through there but now we've we've kind of promoted key members of the team to to self-manage other parts of the team which has been an interesting start to kind of release relinquish some of that uh leadership um to you know, other members of the team now tell me about a leader that you've personally worked with or for and how that's impacted you Ooh. um It's a difficult one, I know. Yeah, it's quite a difficult one. Did you have have any uh, role models as leaders uh, who you've uh, patterned your leadership style after? Uh, Absolutely. So um, a um, acquaintance of mine, he was um, high up as a marketing uh, leader. He was um, for Samsung um, and then subsequently PayPal. And it's been a very interesting journey for him to have him as as a mentor. Um, and for him to, to guide me and obviously understanding within the marketing space as, as we are as an agency and to understand to how you know he handling things on a, on a on an enterprise level versus obviously you know a, a, the agency of our size but definitely looking at his leadership style he's a very similar kind of quite relaxed leadership very approachable very friendly but equally at the same time gets his things done and, and delivers results so I think it's always that in today's market as well, you know, looking at the way that employees respond, what they're willing to put up with, you know, I think that old model of strict oversight, too much strictness, employees want flexibility, they want, um, 
freedom to live their lives, but also deliver the work they need to do and you know do their jobs. So I think there's definitely a shift in the way that leadership styles there. And I, I from my my uh, mentor as such, I saw that and he emulated that same pattern of behavior. What's the most challenging aspect of leadership for you? I think it's definitely keeping people motivated and dealing with the challenges of, that comes with you know managing people and, and having them as part of your staff. Obviously, you know you're responsible for these people. You you know you pay their wages or you know, and you know you have to keep them. You're dealing with them on a day-to-day basis, whether that's you know HR issues, whether that's minimizing conflict between teams, whether that's you know inter, interpersonal squabbles or, or so on and so forth, or just keeping keeping people happy and keeping them invested in the business and the product that you're trying to deliver. Um, and and you know and that side of things as well and, and then the more challenging side of things is obviously dealing when things go wrong or when you know when the challenges are not so great and having to make those difficult decisions sometimes and and dealing with the people and you know, on dealing with your employees in that particular perspective. Now on to a, a rather large scale question: If you had to choose objectively the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? I would say Winston Churchill. And what is it about um, Churchill's leadership style that you uh, would uh, rate so highly? I think he managed to get the entire country behind him. I think in a, in a, certainly in a period of difficulty, um, he managed to motivate people to go forth and kind of really put everything on the line. Um, and in a, in a period of deficiency, and you know, while his a gruff and aggressive style may have been conflicting to a lot of people. He ultimately still delivered on what needed to be done. And often leadership isn't sometimes about appeasing everyone. You know, you can't keep everyone happy. Um, and at the same time, you know what your end goal is. And I think, you know, you, you do what needs to be done to get there and, and to get the people that you need to come along with you to do that, to achieve that goal. And the outcome is, you know, from, well, obviously from his perspective, he delivered what he needed to do and, and within the period of time that he was, he was a leader. Have you found any of Churchill's attributes uh, trickling down into your everyday leadership style? I think sometimes you you do have to be tough. Um, I think you have to, you know, you're. You, I think a, a bad leader is someone who, you know, appeases someone who, you know, the last person they listen to. You know, so they're, you know, you have to have your opinions, you have to have your your view and your perspective, and you have to kind of be confident in that. I think if you, you know, you flip flop around with. Um, the last person you spoke to, or, or you know, if you're influenced too heavily by too many people too often, your you know your viewpoint and your direction of leadership can change. And so, while it, obviously it's important to take other people's advice and to accumulate that uh, or, and assimilate that into your kind of day to day, I think it's important that you you know you stand fast with what your direction is and you know and and therefore leadership because people want to follow someone who's certain with the future. They want to follow someone that has direction and drive and and you know and obviously some people don't agree with that, but equally they're probably not going to be on the journey with you. Mm-hmm. If you could speak to yourself a decade ago, what leadership qualities would you tell yourself to embrace and which ones would you tell yourself to drop? I would probably say sometimes be a bit, um, well, actually reflecting on what I just said previously, actually be a bit more stricter with my own policies um, mm-hmm. in enforce them, be a bit more confident in my direction and, and leadership. I think um, it's actually been an interesting duality with my other founder. We would play um, good cop, bad cop. He always, I was probably a bit too friendly and he was a bit more stern. So we actually had that great balance between the two of us. Um, I've, I've definitely learned a lot from him. And I suppose if I was to go back and say 10 years ago, I would definitely look at um, you know, trying to be a bit more 
uh, directional and a bit more kind of you know don't let people uh, or don't let other other people take the mickey or the piss or whatever mm-hmm. and you know actually sometimes you know you you have to, a stern hand is sometimes needed um and so i suppose that's something i would tell myself when i was younger um yeah well unfortunately our time is quickly drawing to a close but before i let you go do you have any advice for the next generation of emerging leaders I would definitely say people management is uh, is a big part of that, and understanding what motivates people, what drives them, what excites them, keeping people interested today. You know, company loyalty is not what it used to be 20, 30 years ago, mm. and and the big part of that is keeping people, uh, you know, incited about the brand and the direction you're going on. And I think that's a, you know, particularly in a service based industry, your people are everything. Mm-hmm. Well. Alexander, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. I very much look forward to working again with you in the future. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. That was Alexander Hawkins Bias, Chief Executive of BMAS. And now joining us is Jonathan White with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, just... yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have 
uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. On me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at a time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, 
a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two three months, 
And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with. <laughs> well, no, like I, just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when. See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and, uh, and Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must 
realise that that's, that has an influence how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly um, yeah and and with that looking at um, uh, football today uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Green was yeah. Well, the, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking. Um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at that, so many. yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I'm going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, 
and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word is team. team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-minded, uh, single dedication, Dedication to the job, um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not. Uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.